I don't think that there's anything that, as a father, that I should not be able to help with. I don't believe in like, well, mom's supposed to do that. I'm here. I'm going to help with whatever I can help with. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. Today, we welcome our guest, the legendary legend, John Legend. He is a musician, a producer, an activist, a father, a husband. He and his wife, Chrissy Teigen, who you might know from Twitter awesomeness, have a daughter named Luna, and they just announced that they're expecting their second child, although we didn't mention it because it happened after the interview, but mazel tov to John and Chrissy. John is famous for many things, but perhaps most well-known for being named Fatherly's Father of the Year this year. One of the reasons we gave the award to John is his work with LRNG Innovators, an organization he co-founded. It supports and fosters innovation between teachers. He recognizes that change really comes from the classroom, not from top down. But the other reason I was excited to talk to him is because he really does embody a sense of modern fatherhood, with all of its curves and all its edges and all its imperfections. So for like the four people, including my mom, who don't get that joke, that's part of the song, All of Me, which he dedicated to Chrissy Teigen, so I'm sure you got it. Anyway, we talk about all of that stuff from his personal life, to his public life, to his political activism. He's been one of the most outspoken and passionate voices for social justice for a long time. It's part of who he is. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Fowlery Podcast. My name is Joshua David Stein. I hope you enjoy the show. First off, I don't know if you know, but we are awarding you Father of the Year this year. Well, thank you. You're, That's pretty cool. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm like, I just became a father. We'll talk to my wife about this later. See yeah. if she thinks I deserve this. One of the reasons we're so excited to give it to you is because of your work on behalf of children. Yeah. Also on behalf of fathers, quite honestly. Sure. As part of LRNG Innovators. Yeah. As a dad... And as a citizen and as a former child myself, uh-huh. does extremely important work. So Yeah, we started LRNG Innovators because we had been working with teachers for too many young people. Our schools aren't doing a great job of preparing them for life, preparing them for college, preparing them to get a great job, preparing them to be successful. Teachers really influence so much about the day and the experience that kids have in school and yeah. how much they learn. And we wanted to give teachers as much power as possible to innovate and make change in their classrooms. What resonates with LRNG innovators is you're listening to the people on the ground who are with the kids every day. I live in New York, and when we talk about education, I think it's the same countrywide. It's like teachers are just left out of the equation. Teaching is not a collective bargaining issue. Even though there is collective bargaining and unions have a role, teaching is about inspiring and influencing these kids every day. We want to make sure they're paid properly, and we also want to make sure that we encourage innovation and creativity in our teachers so they can encourage the same things in our young people. You co-founded it in 2014. Sure. And you didn't have a kid then. No, uh, but I had been getting involved in the schools because I already knew how important education was to me as a kid, uh, how important great teachers were to me that inspired me and motivated me. Yeah, I think I applaud, obviously, and like the whole reason we're here is Mm because it's such a wonderful project. It seems as a father, as a citizen, as someone who's concerned, it's such a systems thinking issue where there's so many different things involved from childhood hunger and poverty mm-hmm. to testing to those union issues to the segregation there's all kinds of issues that come into play when you talk about changing our education system but i think one of the things that is so interesting about lrng is you focused on this 
what's a commonality of classrooms? Mm -hmm. One of the things that can be so impactful immediately is having a teacher there who yeah. kind of gives a shit and is trying and yeah. and is encouraged to be innovative. Yeah, teacher quality is critical. It's a hugely critical factor when you think about the quality of the school, quality of a kid's education. Teacher quality is really important, and we want to do our best to make sure that we're giving teachers all the tools they need to be the best teachers they can be. Going back to, you were saying you were inspired by the teachers that inspired you as mm -hmm. a kid. Tell me a little bit about your educational journey. Yeah, it was quite an interesting journey because I was homeschooled for some of my grade school years by my mother. I grew up in Springfield, Ohio. Yeah. I went to a Christian school for a couple years during grade school. And then I was in public school from eighth grade through 12th grade. In the meantime, during that grade school time period, I skipped a couple grades. So by the time I got to eighth grade in public school, I was two years younger than my classmates and graduated high school when I was 16. Went to university. Wait, by the way, that must have been really... I mean, I was an awkward teenager and I was like the <laughs> I was same even more awkward than any other yeah. awkward teenager because I was two years younger. I was like going through puberty two years later yeah. than everyone else that I was in school with. I mean, I get why did you jump? My mom wanted me to. <laughs> and I wouldn't advise it, honestly. I think it's important for kids socially to be with their peers because I think there's so much of what you learn is about how to interact with other people. Yeah. And to be two years less mature, I think is a little weird for a kid to do. I recovered from it yeah. just fine, but uh, I, I wouldn't subject my kids to that. Not to get like psychoanalytical about mm -hmm. it, but how do you think that affected you? I think it made me shy for quite a while. And yeah. I, I was fortunate to be a good singer because being a performer was the thing that made me kind of open up and connect with people. Music was everything to us. My dad played the drums at my church. My mother was a choir director. Her mother, my maternal grandmother, was the church organist. I have multiple people in my family that either play an instrument or sing. And we had a piano at home. We had an upright, like a tall upright piano. Yeah. It was kind of old and janky, but that's what we had most of my youth. And then we replaced that one with a digital baby grand when I was probably 11 or so, maybe 10. Do you remember the first song you learned to play? I do not. I remember my first recital. I played Fur Elise. Uh, Solid choice. Solid da -da 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 By the time I was done with high school, I was student body president. I was prom king. So I adjusted well right. eventually, but I think it definitely took a while and I was behind in certain ways and it went through some growing pains. Like I said, it worked out, but I wouldn't really advise it. Mm -hmm. What's it like being homeschooled? I don't know. It's hard to say. Cause but you have seen the range yeah. of like public... Uh, it's very, it's, it's kind of isolating in some ways. Luckily, I had siblings and we lived in a neighborhood with a lot of kids as well. So we would play after school with our cousins who lived around the corner. And yeah. we had friends we would play football and basketball with in the backyard. In some ways, we were connected to other kids socially, but it is a bit isolating. Also, you're subject to the strengths and weaknesses of one teacher, which is your mom. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the grantees for LRNG mm -hmm. Innovators. There's one in particular that I think is particularly timely right mm -hmm. now, the Let Them Shine in Charlottesville. Yeah, so this is a project in Charlottesville, and this actually was conceived before we had the big white nationalist march in Charlottesville. And uh, But there were plenty of nice people and good people yes, there, too. Plenty of nice people, apparently, on both sides. But anyway, so these young people, there was already some controversy in the city of Charlottesville about how to think about the past. A lot of the forefathers of the white citizens of these states were fighting in the Civil War and they were on the wrong side of history. They were fighting to keep 
people that looked like me enslaved. Over the course of the last hundred years, in response often to civil rights gains and to agitation on behalf of black citizens, a lot of these cities and states started erecting monuments that represented a really dark past in America's history, where millions of black people were enslaved. Then a huge war, the Civil War, was fought by the South to keep those folks enslaved. Right, and it's not just that you have this history, Mm -hmm. it's that you construct monuments to the history. You construct monuments to the history to intimidate those who are agitating for equal rights and to say, this is the side that we revere, this is the side that we honor. You're putting them on a pedestal. pedestal. It's not like you have a bunch of other monuments honoring people that stood for civil rights or stood for justice. You're really making a choice of priorities of who you want to honor, saying, we want to honor Robert E. Lee, we want to honor Stonewall Jackson, we want to honor Jefferson Davis. These are people who led the effort to keep people that looked like me enslaved. Those monuments are rightly being questioned now by people in modern society. The young people in Charlottesville were questioning those monuments as well and trying to come up with an alternative for how we use our public spaces to say what our values are, say what we honor, say what we revere in our society. They're coming up with multimedia ideas to transform these public spaces to be more inclusive and more representative of a diverse society and more unifying. Because it predates the white nationalist march and Mm -hmm. and all that violence, it's like for a lot of people, including me, and I'm kind of ashamed that that's what brought it onto my consciousness, Mm It wasn't an issue I had a lot of sort of visibility into. Yeah. That wasn't on my radar. So many Americans have a collective amnesia about what the Civil War was about, what the stated reasons for the secession were, and why those folks fought, and what impact it has on black folks to see monuments to these people in prominent places in our cities. Those that are proponents of these monuments say, we can't destroy our history, you have to preserve it. But the real issue is that we aren't learning our history. Right. People aren't learning what the Civil War was fought for. People aren't learning about some of the darkest moments in no, American No, it's about history. agriculture. Yeah, 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 exactly. We'll be back with more John Legend after a quick word from our sponsor, Hum by Verizon. The Fatherly Podcast is brought to you by Hum by Verizon. No one wants to be stranded on the side of the road, especially when you have little ones in the car. But since a road is an unpredictable place, it helps to have Hum by Verizon, the connected car system that assists and empowers drivers. Now you can check your car's health from your phone. And if you have questions, you can connect to a mechanics hotline for expert, unbiased advice and even get quotes on repairs. Need help on the road? Hum works with a nationwide network of mechanics and can send a tow truck out to your location. And if Hum detects a crash, it can automatically notify emergency services. It's a smart way to stay on top of your car's health and keep your family safer on the road. Get Hum and get where you're going. Learn more at hum.com. Welcome back to the Fatherly Podcast. Now back to our interview with John Legend. Has being a father changed your outlook in this philanthropic realm, or is it just more of a continuation of what you've been doing? It is a continuation, but I think it gives me even more uh, passion about it. I know how much I care about my daughter's future. I know that I have all the resources that I need and that she'll ever need to have a great future, but also know that so many Americans don't have that. When I think about 
what I want politically and what I want philanthropically. I think about making sure every kid has health care and daycare and making sure parents have all the tools they need to give their kids a shot at making it in America. Just out of curiosity, like when you were growing up and getting better and better known, mm -hmm. you know, professionally, were you always engaged from the social angle? Was that something that once you became successful, you're like, oh, what do I do with this? I always knew I wanted to do it. And when I was in high school, one of the essays I wrote was for a contest that was put on by McDonald's of all places. And McDonald's had a Black History Makers of Tomorrow competition where you had to write an essay saying, how do you plan to make history? In my essay, I basically said, I'm going to become a famous singer and I'm going to use my position as a singer to make my community and my world better. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's for the John Legend archive. Do you find that you have to moderate or do you, I don't know, how to ask this message you have mm -hmm. do you feel like you have to speak about it publicly differently than you do privately or with certain groups as opposed well, to well i think whenever you talk about these issues part of your job is to be convincing and, and to put it in terms that people understand and that are emotionally resonant so i think we do have to think about the way we message things but i i'm not very big on censoring myself <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty honest if you read my twitter feed if you have seen me speak before I tell the truth as I see it, but also try to say it in a way that's morally convincing and resonant in an emotional way so that people can see a point of view that they may not have seen or agreed with before. Right. I feel like now, specifically right now, it's who's not following like the Me Too hashtag? Yeah, yeah things, sure. Right. But it's like trying to talk about these issues without alienating the person you're talking to. And at the same time, not sugarcoating that yeah. like what you've done is wrong and I'm not going to try yeah. not to hurt your feelings because, yeah. you know, I want you to listen. Yeah, it's tough. You've seen it with the responses to the last election. It's like, you don't want to insult the people that voted for someone who's clearly unqualified and unfit to be president. How do you have a conversation without telling the truth about how awful this guy is, how corrosive he is for a public conversation? And it's a challenge to think about, but in the end, I side with the truth most of the time. What are the discussions about what the role of an artist is I think obviously it's never just been entertainer. But there's been a constant thread of artists that have used their art and their platform and their position to try to make social change. You saw it with Paul Robeson way back in the day. You saw it with Harry Belafonte. You saw it with Bob Dylan. You saw it with so many people who spoke out against the war of Vietnam. Nina Simone was also one of the artists who made a real social impact and decision to be social. And for her, it's interesting because it didn't turn out well commercially for her, but she really stood by what she wanted to say about it. Yeah, she was bold, she was fearless, and I think she's getting even more recognition in some ways now by people rediscovering her, hip-hop sampling her, and she's in the shortlist for the Hall of Fame nominations for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, something I've been lobbying for for a while. I think she did pay a price for her activism to some degree, but I think history will regard those efforts really well. That was kind of a high watermark in the annals of art and activism. You hadn't seen it as much since then, partly because there wasn't the draft. I always think the, the idea of the draft and the fact that so many of their peers were eligible for the draft and being drawn into a yeah. war that a lot of them didn't believe in, uh, so it created a sense of urgency, I think, in that generation that we haven't really had since. The first episode of the podcast we taped with Ken Burns, mm -hmm. all about the draft. What is your responsibility as a dad and as a citizen? Yeah. Do you advocate for a draft so your son will have to fight, but then at least the country has skin in the game? Yeah. Or do you just try to protect your family, which is also 
hugely important. Yeah. And you run the risk of a disengaged populace. Yeah, it's a really difficult question. And part of me thinks if we had a draft, we wouldn't have gone to Iraq, for instance, because the stakes are higher and it's felt by more people. But then you don't want to actually be forced to go to war. Yeah. You were saying that politics and art kind of stopped being as prominent as they were in the 60s and 70s because the draft went away. I wonder if some of that's also because music became more and more commodified as a product. It probably has something to do with that as well. It wasn't like those records weren't selling when they were right. making socially conscious records. It wasn't like that was a bad business proposition. What's going on? Sold a lot of records. Yeah. And Bob Dylan sold a lot of records talking about these issues. It wasn't like that was a commercially unsuccessful strategy before, but I think the resonance is different when there's a sense of urgency in the larger population. Oh. I think we've lost some of that urgency. Yeah, it's more of a symptom of society in general becoming less coherent. Cohesive. Immediately personally impacted by political decisions, or at least in our minds we are. Yeah, right, because yeah. for a lot of people... we are. Yeah. We'll be back with the Fatherly Questionnaire after a quick word from our sponsor, TLC. Stay tuned. When your baby has a baby, it's all hands on deck. TLC's new series, Unexpected, explores the ups and downs of three pregnant teens who are all children of teen mothers themselves. Parents and grandparents must step in and help them through this huge life change. Tensions mount as everyone has conflicting ideas for what is best for the young parents and their baby. Don't miss the revealing new series Unexpected, Sundays at 10, 9 central on TLC. Stream live and catch up on TLC Go. Download the free app now. Welcome back to the Fatherly Podcast. This is your host, Joshua David Stein. We're going to jump right into the Fatherly Questionnaire with musician, activist, producer, and dad, John Legend. Are you ready for the fatherly question? Sure. Okay. I wrote it down. It starts off easy. It's pretty easy. What is your name? My name is John Legend. Cool. Age? I am 38 years old. Profession? I am a singer, songwriter, a producer, and an activist. How old is your kid? My kid is 18 months old. What is her name? Her name is Luna. Luna Simone Stevens. Was she named after anyone in particular? Her middle name is after Nina Simone, who's one of my favorite artists. And Luna? Luna's not named after anybody particular, but we just like the name. Do you have any cute nicknames for Luna? Luna, we call her Looney Tunes, or just Tunes, and Lulu as well. What does she call you? She calls me Dada. How often do you see her? Well, when I'm not on tour, it goes in phases. So I was on tour in Europe for five weeks. She was there for the first week, and then I didn't see her for an entire month, which was by far the longest I had been without her. But most times, I'm with her every day. She was on tour for the North American tour with me almost yeah. the entire time, so I didn't spend more than a couple days away from her. Is she old enough to, like, FaceTime and stuff? Oh, yeah, she FaceTimes. She's not very attentive with FaceTime, but yeah. she gets excited when she first gets on, and then her attention span is like, beep. She likes to push the button, too, and she ends up pausing it or hanging up on me. <laughs> that will be the story of your life. Yes. Describe yourself as a father in three words. I am loving, musical, talkative. Yes, I like to musical. play music for her. I like to play on the piano. I like for her to sit with me on the piano, and she plays with me. I dance with her. I like to have an atmosphere where music is prominent in our home. Yeah. When I'm gone, my wife plays me just to kind of keep her close to me. But when I'm home, I don't really play my own music at all. Describe your father in three words. We actually have a lot of similarities when it comes to personality. He's very mild-mannered and easygoing. Mild-mannered and easygoing. Yes. Mild-mannered is hyphenated, and easygoing, I think, is one word, so you have one more. Creative. Mild-mannered, easygoing, creative. He designs hats. He makes his own clothes. Yeah. What are your strengths as a father? 
I'm present. I don't think that there's anything that, as a father, that I should not be able to help with. I don't believe in, like, well, mom's supposed to do that. I'm here. I'm going to help with whatever I can help with. What Change your, diapers, whatever it requires. What are your weaknesses as a father? My wife is much better at playing and making Luna laugh than I am. I'm, like, kind of more straightforward, and I'm not as creative when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's a weakness of mine. Do you have any games that are like, that's a dad game? Mom is always good at just like figuring out how to entertain her better. Yeah. I will bring her on the piano and she enjoys that, but uh, yeah. I'm not as good at coming up with ideas to entertain her. What is your biggest regret as a father? When I'm gone for significant periods of time. Yeah, well, you're the centerpiece of this huge apparatus that is the John Legend complex. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of people's livelihoods depend on me working. Yeah. Mine does too. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite activity to do with your daughter? I love dancing with her. She has good moves? She does not have good moves yet. <laughs> and who knows? I don't even have good moves. But I like to spin her around and just hold her and dance with her. Yeah. She loves that. What is your proudest moment so far as a parent? I love seeing her learn words and be engaged with people around her. And I love that she's really social and like really has a great disposition. That makes me proud. What heirlooms, if any, did your father leave for you or give to you? My dad's an artist and he paints and does uh, pencil sketches and a lot of the things he would give to us were pencil drawings that he did commemorating certain moments in time for our family. What heirlooms, if any, do you want to leave for Luna? Oh my, I don't even want to think about that yet. My business manager was like, I got to do a will sooner or later. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to do one. But yeah, eventually I'll have to do one. We'll leave her as much as we have. I mean, if both of us are gone, it's hers. Yeah. Describe the dad special for dinner. Well, I'm good at fried chicken and mac and cheese, baked macaroni and cheese. I um, make pancakes for Luna in the morning. Those are some of dad's specials. Are you religious and are you raising your children in that tradition? I'm not religious and we're not planning to raise them religious, no. What is a mistake you made growing up that you want to ensure your child does not repeat? No. <laughs> Skipping two grades. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it wasn't I my mistake. Was but no. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have all kinds of thoughts about what I would do differently for my parents, but I think overall my parents did a pretty good job. Obviously, I don't want to get divorced, and I think it'd be difficult for my kids if we got divorced, particularly while they were still kids yeah. not living on their own. How that, old were you when your parents got divorced? I was 10, 11 years old. That was tough for all of us, and I wouldn't want my daughter to ever experience that. Besides saying it, mm -hmm. how do you make sure your daughter knows that you love her? I'm very physically affectionate. I hug her and kiss her all the time. And Well, I think that is it for us. Thank you so much. Congratulations on being fun. Thank you. Here. I appreciate it. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor, ADT. We'll be back with Oh Hey Science with our science editor, Josh Krish. Home isn't just a place. It's a feeling. The feeling that you and your family are safe to enjoy the things that matter most. Whether for your home or business, ADT helps keep you safe so you can feel protected wherever you are. Not sure where to start? Try the new ADT Kit for only $49, including a professional installation. Hurry, offer ends soon. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more. 36-month monitoring contract required. Enrollment in QSP and EasyPay required only in select markets. I'd like to welcome to the studio our bewhiskered science correspondent, Josh Krish, for a segment we call Oh Hey Science. Hey, Josh. Hi. Let's... Start with daddy issues, which are a real thing that affect many people. Who yeah, have there's actual science here. Would you believe that? Real daddy issues. You have a son, and I have two sons, and... But we're the wrong people to talk about this. Because we're going to focus on 
daddy issues with daughters. Daddy issues do exist for men, for boys, but they're pretty distinct from the daddy issues that crop up for girls. Sure, and they have nothing to do with sexual function. We really only see sexual problems, that is, women engaging in risky sexual behaviors in the specific relationship between a dad and a daughter. Tell me a little bit about this study that you brought today, which is recent and devastating, but also very interesting. Two studies came out in 2017, all by the same person, this brilliant scientist over at the University of Utah, Danielle Del Priori. Danielle De Priori. We gotta say it one more time. Danielle Del Priori. Okay, shout out Danielle for that last name. That's right. <laughs> she's done this a bunch of times, but, in, but this year, in 2017, she studied it twice. For one of the studies, she tracked 101 sister pairs. That's two girls related to each other, but about four years apart in age. They have the same father. In each case, she made sure that this was a situation where one of the girls grew up in a home with a very involved dad, and then something happened. There was a divorce, or the dad became less involved, or the dad became less friendly in general, and so the second daughter ended up getting a different father experience from the same father. So she controlled for everything. We have here two girls with the same basic genetic information in the same home and the same environment, the only difference being that one has a good dad and one has a bad dad, and it's the same dad. Right. And she found that the daughters who had bad dads, who had dads who were not particularly involved, who checked out, who'd been divorced from the moms, these girls were much more likely to engage in risky sexual behaviors than their sisters. Is there any sense of why that is? There are some theories out there. We're not exactly sure why girls who don't have active dads in their lives tend to engage in more risky sexual behaviors. One theory is that a father models what a male is supposed to be for a young girl. So a daughter looks at her father and says, this is what I expect, at least at minimum, from the men in my life. So if you have a dad who's not at all involved, who sleeps around perhaps, or who isn't particularly committed, then she figures that that's a baseline male behavior, that she's going to accept it when her boyfriend doesn't show up for dates or wants to engage in risky sexual behaviors or generally doesn't treat her properly, because for her, a male figure does this. That's one theory, and that's probably the one that matches most with the way that we tend to think of daddy issues in society. That's Girl also didn't the, have any, the uh, saddest. It's also the saddest, that's true. Um, the more practical one, and in my opinion the one that's much more likely, is that we know from other studies that dads tend to monitor their daughter's behavior more than any other parent-to-child relationship. So if a girl's getting in with the wrong crowd, starting to hang out with boys who want to engage in risky sexual behaviors, an active, involved dad is likely to detect that and forbid it. But you know, it, that's so funny because that's like the classic rom-com stereotype of a dad, you know, calling in the prom date and just giving him the evil eye and saying, you know, don't you dare touch my daughter. Right, but there's something to be said for having a dad who occasionally tells a guy, don't you dare touch my daughter. And here we have these, a certain number of girls are growing up without those kinds of dads who call their boyfriend in the room and say, don't you dare touch her. And uh, that might be influencing risky sexual behaviors among that population. Right. And so the father both models... And he monitors. Those are the two kind of... That's a very good way to put it, yeah. The father both models good male behavior and monitors the male behavior of his daughter's friends when he's involved. When he's not involved, you lose both of those advantages, and we end up with risky sexual behaviors. There's a really interesting study uh, about how daughters without fathers interpret facial expressions from men. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it just drives home the point even more. It's a Gana Del Priori study. This one's published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. She asked a bunch of women to think of a time where their dads were absent or where their dads disappointed them and then showed them pictures of men. 
these women who were thinking about the times where their dads disappointed them were significantly more likely to believe that the men in those pictures wanted to sleep with them. And that comes from just thinking about a moment when their dad wasn't there. That's right. These women saw more sexual arousal when viewing images of men when thinking about the fact that their dads weren't around. It really drives home the same point from the other studies on the topic of risky sexual behaviors and poor dad-daughter relationships. There seems to be some kind of a link between not having a father around or being disappointed in your father and wanting to engage in risky sex, wanting more sex, and engaging in the sorts of behaviors that daughters who have dads don't engage in. I thought one of the interesting corollaries to this is that there's not a similar effect with boys. Yeah, it hasn't been found in the literature. That doesn't mean it's not there. But when I spoke to Del Priori for one of the stories that we worked on together, she told me that this is not something that they've detected in the, in the research. I always love talking to you when science seems to confirm widely held cultural beliefs that at least sometimes they're true. You know, that that crotchety, overprotective dad in the sweater and khakis in the living room giving the stink eye to, you know, the little punk kid who wants to take your daughter out is actually a useful, <laughs> a useful control to have. Yeah, in it the might be protective. Life. It might be protective. This is once again highlighting that there is a link. We're not exactly sure why that link exists, but there is a link between a daughter being disappointed in her father and a woman engaging in risky sexual behaviors. It doesn't mean that if you're not a perfect dad, your daughter is going to do terrible things or dangerous things. What it means is that if you're a consistently disappointing dad, you're probably setting up your daughter for a life of high-risk sexual experiences. The stakes are so high. Science makes you realize how high the stakes are in parenting decisions. You know, like, I, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm glad you come and, you know. I'm glad to be here. It's terrifying because it shows empirically how important it is and how important the choices we make as fathers sure. are. I think dads, dads, not just dads, parents in general would like to believe that, generally speaking, kids turn out okay no matter what we do. And unless we're terrible people, abusive people, people who really go out there to hurt our children— that unless we're like that, our kids are probably going to be okay even if we screw up regularly. And, and the more you what look at do the you data, think? Yeah. yeah, the more you look at the data, the more you realize that it really is a, a conglomerate of small decisions that decide how your child turns out. And a parent who is regularly asking himself or herself, am I making the best decisions for my child, is likely to have better outcomes than a parent who wings it. That's about it for Oh Hey Science. I feel like I need a stiff drink, which I'm sure probably if I have will have a negative Don't effect worry. On you're my... a father of sons. You're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. This episode was produced by Sandy Smollins and engineered by Matt Noble. The theme music is by Kyle Forster with a little help from my son, Augie Herenstein. Make sure you subscribe to the Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with me, JDS at fatherly.com. Questions, comments, praise, just praise. That's how you reach me. And I've also been working on a like tagline, which I'm going to try now. Let me know what you think about it. Here it goes. This is Joshua David Stein. Until next week, stay cool, dads. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. Audiation.